And today we're going to look at, uh, in the Bible at Hebrews chapter 10. There's a couple Bibles out on the, on the tables. If you need one, you can grab one of these. Uh, the good news is they already have a little marker in them that, right at the spot where we're going to be. So uh, just in case, if, if you're not too familiar with it, but uh, grab one of those. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. So if you'll find that, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 25 together. Thankful for um, what it means to be the church, what it means to partner together. And so even uh, Riley and Shannon already leading us in song and Josh leading us in the prayer confession. And and all of these things are not because we uh, have it together, we've figured it out, but because God has called us to be the church together, to be proclaimers of this good story, this good news that we have. And so we do that and we partner together in that proclamation. So I'm Thankful for that. I'm thankful that it's not raining this morning. The last two Sundays, it's rained. And so this Sunday, we were, we were really excited. We are going to gather a bunch of people, and, and God has made it nice and sunny. It is also really humid, so we'll talk about that for next week. But thankful for just God and His goodness and His kindness towards us. Um, we're going to continue the, the proclamation of the Word of God together. Again, we're in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And I want you to, to know that often we think of this time as like one very active person and then a bunch of very passive people, right? Where you guys just listen and one person talks. But the reality is that because of who God has called us to be, we are the church together, so we partner together. We hear God's word together. It transforms our lives together as the church. And so let's, let's think about that even as we're reading. Like, God, what are you, what are you telling us? What would you have us do because of your word. And so let's actively partner together to read God's word. We pray that the hearing of his word will, by the power of his Holy Spirit, transform us into the image of Christ. That's our hope this morning. That's our greatest need. We need to hear and we need to see Jesus. And, and you know what? When we think about that, our neighbors need us to hear and see Jesus. Our families need us to hear and see Jesus. A dying world needs to see Jesus in us. So let's pray that God would do that this morning. That's our prayer together as we look at Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Read along while I read. Uh, I'll read aloud and you can just follow along in your Bibles. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We pray with me? God, we've already called each other um, to hear and to see, and yet we uh, know that we can't do that in and of ourselves. And so we would ask that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, would open our eyes, would give us ears to hear, because, Lord, that's our desire this morning. Whether we know it or not, that's our greatest desire. We can be satisfied with you and you alone. And so we pray that you would do that. I thank you. 
Lord, for gathering us together under your word this morning. I pray that it will be effective, that you would um, get me out of the way, Lord, that we would hear and see Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, one of the ways that we can read God's word, and so as we're going to walk through today, we want to see three things in each passage. The first thing we want to see is, is who is God? That's always our goal, is to see who is God. And then what does is, what is whatever we're reading mean in relationship between us and God? How, how does that affect our relationship? How does that define our relationship? And then the third thing that we most often see at the end is what does that mean for our relationship to each other? And so we're going to look at this passage today, and those are the questions we're looking for. A fourth question that, that comes up often is, what is the gospel? And so I pray that this morning we would see all of those things in this passage as we walk through it. We're going to look at verse 19 through 21. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. You see, so the first thing we see is this, this idea of Jesus. And, and what we haven't seen, because we're kind of jumping right into Hebrews towards the end, we haven't seen the author, and, and forgive me if I say Paul, I, we preached 2 Corinthians not too long ago, I always reference Paul, some people think Paul wrote Hebrews, we're not sure who the author is, but we know who it is written to. It's written to the Hebrew people that had an understanding of the Jewish law, and most of it refers to how Jesus fulfilled that law. And so that's the book of Hebrews. So as we're looking at that, what we haven't seen is how the, the author has stepped through. Hey, remember the, the sacrifice. Remember the high priest. Remember all of these things that God had ordained. And he points to how Jesus fulfills all of those things. Uh, Josh read it in our prayer of confession that Jesus is the, the once and for all sacrifice. That he's the atonement. And so as we think about that, and this letter to the Hebrews, we think about the blood of Jesus that's sufficient to both satisfy the wrath of God and restore relationship between a holy God and sinful man. That's good news, because both of those realities are very true, that God is holy and we are not. And so we need something that would restore us. Again, this letter to the Hebrews assumes an understanding by the hearers that maybe we don't have, so I would encourage you this week, Go back, read some more, gain some of that understanding. See how he walks methodically through and points Jesus out in all of the law. But if we don't have that understanding, I'll just give you a, a little bit of a recap. See, once a year, the priest who was ordained by God would enter into the Holy of Holies and he would make a sacrifice for atonement. We talked about it earlier, the, the Feast of Atonement, the, the, the celebration of Yom Kippur is this celebration that they would be made right with God because of the sacrifice of the high priest. Atonement means satisfaction or reparation for a wrong. Maybe today we're struggling and we're thinking, I'm not really that bad. The reality is that if, we, if we're here, we have some inclination to believe God's word, and his word actually says that we are that bad. And so we have to take his truth and then we can also see evidence of it. Like if, if we just open our eyes, we can begin to see that often we're selfish, often we're hurtful, often we don't think of others above ourselves. And then we can even get into some of the good things that we do and how often those things are done out of wrong motives. 
They're done out of selfish desire. And so we are sinful people. We are corrupt. And so atonement means satisfaction and reparation of that wrong, of that sin within us. You see, the Bible says that in the beginning, God created and it was perfect. But we, in our selfishness, in our desire to rule, in our desire to to not be content with Him being creator and us being created, we warred against Him and we rebelled against Him. And there's the sin of Eve and the sin of Adam. And so through this, these, these two people, sin entered the world. And so God established a way for the people, His chosen people, to be right with Him. And it would go through a lot of ritual purification a lot of right sacrifices, sacrifices throughout the year leading up to this one sacrifice that would happen where the high priest, very timidly and, and often scared because he knew the holiness of God, would enter into to the holy place. There were several different sections of the temple and the one that he only went into once a year was called the Holy of Holies. And that's where they believed the presence of God was. And so he would make sacrifice and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice over the, holy, over the Ark of the Covenant. And so that's what this author of Hebrews is, is referencing. He's pointing to that. And he's saying that Jesus is that atoning sacrifice. Once and for all, he's come, and all of the purity that was required by the, by the high priest and by the people was, was seen in Jesus. He was pure. He was righteous. He lived a perfect life. And so he could make the payment on our behalf. So he could be the once and for all sacrifice that we desperately need. You see, the, the sacrifice, the atonement sacrifice required purity in both the sacrifice and in the mediator or the high priest. So he would, he would have to go through, um, there couldn't be no spot or blemish on any, any portion of him. He had to bathe excessively. He had to have perfectly pure garments. All of these things had to be in order for him to be able to enter into the presence of God. And so Jesus was both that perfect sacrifice. One of the things that you, maybe you've heard in, in a Sunday school story is, is there would be a person who would tend to the sacrifice. They knew that, that sac, they, they would pick out their best animals for the sacrifice. And they would take care of those animals for a year, knowing that, hey, one day we're going to have to bring this sacrifice to the Lord, and it needs to be perfect. And so there was a lot of thought and intentionality that went into it. And that's the, the whole lifestyle of the Jewish people revolved around honoring God with their lives. And when they sinned, they realized it. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, so if you're on 19, just look up a little bit. It says, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. You see, the sacrifices in the Old Testament didn't actually take away the sins. They pointed to one who would come, and when he was sacrificed, the sins would be taken away. And so as they walked in the law, it, the law pointed to the good Savior. God's plan from the beginning of time was not that they would that he would give them the law, they would fail at the law, and so then he would come with plan B of Jesus. No, the, it says that in the beginning he planned to send his son. And so all of the law points to this need for a savior and the hope and promise of a coming savior. 
11 says, the daily sacrifice, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away the sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You see, not only is Jesus the atonement, the sacrifice, but he's also the mediator. We see it in verse 20. By the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. That, that role of priest, to bring a people, a sinful people, before a holy God, was a very prestigious role, but also it was a very humbling role, because he, he, he has to, there's some fear involved there. There's some acknowledgement of God's holiness involved there. And so when we come before God, there's, there's a, an, an understanding of the sin that we have. And yet, Jesus came confidently before the Father because he was perfect. And he knew that he could fulfill the sacrifice. And now he stands as the high priest. It says, sitting at the right hand of the Father. So when we come and we don't know what to say, he says, that when I've paid the blood my sin has, their sin has been washed away by my blood. And so we can confidently come before the Father and say, God, I plead the blood of Jesus. I know that it's sufficient. I trust and believe and have faith that you have done everything needed for me to have right relationship with you. And Jesus prays on our behalf at the same time. That's who Jesus is. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the mediator. He's done it all. And so when we say, who is God? Jesus is the Son of God. He's fully God. But he was fully man too, so he could walk in our place and he could pay the payment that was due for our sin. So when we look at this passage and we ask that question, who is God? We see Jesus. And we rejoice in that. Verses 22 through 23 say uh, that we have this confident hope and a faith. 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, and let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So that second question, who are we in relationship to God? Because this is, this is true about Christ, what we've, what we've read and seen. There are implications for us. You see, if we are in Christ, and, and many authors of the New Testament use that language, to be in Christ or to be with Christ. So this identity that we have because of what Christ has done, we have these things. Verse 19 says, we have confidence to come before God. Now we, instead of coming with fear of, of wrath, we can come confidently knowing that Jesus has sufficiently paid the debt that we owed. So we have confidence to come before God. We have a true and clean heart. You see it in verse 22. The power of God restores our heart. If we believe that this is true, the only way that that, that happens is because the Holy Spirit has changed our hearts. See, God took the initiative, came and, and regenerated our hearts and made us believe this good news. It's going to look like folly and foolishness to those that he hasn't done that. And so we rest in that, and we can come confidently because we do believe it's good news. 
And we have a full assurance of faith. The Bible talks in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, which probably a lot of us know, it talks about a lot about love, but it also talks about the gifts that he gives in verse 12 and 14. So all of this is kind of in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you have the gifts of faith, hope, and love. So the gift of faith, the gift to believe is a gift of God. Verse 22 says we have a full assurance of faith. Verse 22 continues, it says that we've been purified by water, by pure water. If any of you have been around church at all, you might know uh, of, a, of a sacrament called baptism. And so baptism is this symbol that we walk through where we are, are buried with Christ. And it happens in water. And then we're raised with Christ to new life. And so that water is the symbolic washing away of the sin that we, that we undergo because of who Christ is. Because when we are with Christ, we are washed clean by pure water. And it's not just an external thing. Like that priest, he had to have all of his ducks in a row, right, externally. He had to be, his, his garments had to be clean. He had to be washed. But the reality is that when Christ does that, it's not just an external, it's an internal. He takes away our sin and our shame. And even those things that we were doing out of, even those good things we were doing out of wrong motives, he begins to change our motives. So now they're actually his righteousness that we're walking in. And then finally, we have a confession of hope. Not because we're faithful, but because God is faithful. All of this rests on God. Isn't that good news? Like, like we don't have to be faithful. He calls us to faithfulness. But everything that he's doing is based on his faithfulness. It says... In verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession. So there's an act of holding fast, right? We are called to do something. We hold fast to the confession of faith, of our hope without wavering. But how do we do that? We do it through his faithfulness. Because he who promised is faithful. He was faithful to send Jesus. He was faithful. Jesus is faithful to walk in obedience all the way to the cross. To die a sinner's death in our place. To be raised again. So our hope is in Jesus, that we are cleansed by his blood. The last question that we ask is, is we've seen who God is. We've seen what that means, the implications of that for our relationship to him. The last thing is, what does that mean for us together as the church, as believers? What is the fruit of atonement in the believer? You see, if all of this is true, both who God is and who the believer is, it changes the way that we live. It has to. If you continue reading later on this week or, or maybe later today, you'll see that there are implications that if it doesn't change the way that we live, we haven't believed it. And so true belief walks itself out in a changed life, in the changed way that we live. So how do we live? Well, let's first begin to see that, that, that look at the pronouns in this passage. There's a lot of us and we. That's going to be hard for us as Americans, A. It's also just difficult to, to get outside of ourselves and begin to see that, hey, all of these implications are for us as a body, for us as a group of people to be worked out. Listen, if we don't have each other, we can be good. We can, we can be selfless. If I have nobody else, I can be really selfless. But as soon as you enter one other person into that, now it's going to take a work of the Holy Spirit for me to act and walk in selflessness, for me to act and walk in love and faith 
in long-suffering, in patience. All of those things require two people. At least. And God has given us all each other. So look, it says, uh, therefore brothers, so that's plural, right? Let, uh, since we have confidence that He opened for us through the curtain, since we have a great priest, let us draw near, let us hold fast. I mean, all of these things are a group of people. So that's the first thing we need to see is that we have been bought and and brought into a group of people, the church together. We are a community together of sinners saved by grace. And if we truly understand like the implications of who God is for us, that, that we have nothing to stand on except Jesus and Christ alone, then we can look at our brother and say, they don't have anything either except Christ and Christ alone. So so the expectations that I'm putting on them, the demands that I'm putting on them are wrong. But I can encourage them and love them. See, we are the bride of Christ together, bought at a great price. The the thing that we can miss, that we can go out from here and say, well, it's all been done by Jesus. It it was all done by Jesus at a great price. We've kind of glossed through, not glossed through it, but we moved through it quickly. There There was a real... Uh, brokenness. He was really beaten. He was really crushed. He was really bled out for a bride. And so we need to remember that. That together we, and now if I look at you and I see a person purchased at great price, I begin to think about you differently. I begin to talk to you differently. I begin to encourage you differently. That has great implications for how we live together as the people of God. And so we walk as Christ in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Guess what? If we are in Christ and he gave himself up, what does that mean for us? We too have to give ourselves up. He talks about picking up your cross and following him. That, that burden is daily dying to yourself. I always had the idea that it was like diving in front of a train, that, that it's this beautiful, like, heroic thing. But no, it looks like daily not getting mad when, when things frustrate me, right? Daily being patient with my children. Daily seeing the, the grace of God poured out in my life so then I can be gracious to others. Those types of things. And so in, in the passage it says, in verse 24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, we gather together to remind one another of these truths. Because otherwise, we will forget. That is, that is absolutely true. We will not rest in this identity that we have. There are too many rival identities that are louder than our identity as forgiven sinners. All you have to do is turn the TV on, and you will be bombarded with identities that you should have. All you need to do is, is read something on the internet, and you're bombarded with different identities that you should have. But if we are in Christ, then that is our greatest identity. That is where all these other identities come from. From who we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we have a confidence and a hope to access the triune God. We're children of God with the privileges of of being with the Father, the God who created everything you see. Man, we couldn't have 
dialed us up better. Right? To be able to look out and see creation and say, God, you are amazing. You are beautiful. And now I get to have access to you because of what the Son has done. And so we have confidence and hope. And we know that we are truly loved because of the work of the Son, because of what Jesus has done. We know we can walk in love and good works by the power of the Holy Spirit, all for the glory of God. One thing that you might have noticed as you're reading that last verse, it says uh, you see the day drawing near. And maybe, maybe day in your Bible is capitalized. And I'll tell you why. Because there's a day coming when Jesus is going to return. If, if, what, if this word is true, then that means that there is a day coming where Jesus will come again. And this time when he comes, he will not come as a humble servant. It says that the next time that he comes, he's coming as a conquering king. And that as, a, as king and as Lord, he has the right to judge. And so if we are in Christ, we stand in, the, in his grace and in his mercy for us. But if we are not in Christ, we stand under the judgment of God. And we will be punished. See, when the, when the conquering king comes, every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord. Some will bow willingly, and some will be bowed. But for us, if we are in Christ, when Jesus comes, it will be the greatest day of rejoicing that we've ever experienced. Our hope will be in front of our eyes. It won't be this thing that, that we can't see that we're trying to cling to. It will be in front of us. And so we look forward to that day. But at the same time, that should give us, that should propel us in our faith, in our belief. That we, we should pray and ask God to change us into his image so that our neighbors can see Jesus. So that they can hear Jesus. So that our community can rest in who Christ is. We need to cry out for these things. And so, we conclude just by remembering what we've seen today. You see, Christ's atoning sacrifice demands a response from us in what we believe about God, in what we believe about our relationship to Him, and it creates a way for us to truly love one another, to truly encourage one another, to walk in the good works. If all of this is true, then let us live in this way. Let us draw near to God with confidence in the true heart that we've received through Christ. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope because Christ is faithful. And let us gather encouraging one another, stirring each other up to love and good works that Christ has purchased for us to walk in. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for both uh, the encouragement of your word. God, that we could, we could remember today who we are because of who Christ is. Lord, and we can at the same time be challenged to say, God, I've, I've kind of taken lightly. I've forgotten. I haven't believed that your grace was sufficient, that you actually did everything that your word says, and that because of that, I am who you've called me to be. I've forgotten. I've believed lies. I've believed, I've put hope in other identities. And so... Lord, today we would confess those things to be true. Lord, I pray that today those that have heard your word thousands of times, 
would be transformed in the image of Christ. I pray that those today that hear it for the first time would be transformed to the image of Christ. Lord, that that would be our hope and our desire, is that you would be glorified, that you would be made much of. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the sufficiency of Jesus Christ as, as both the sacrifice, the high priest, the mediator, and the coming king. Rejoice in that hope. In your name, amen.